0: What will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge. At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it.
1: from the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. I'm Kelvin Thompson and I am Tom Cavanaugh and you are listening or watching to Topcast, the teaching online podcast. Just threw a little visual love in there for. Yeah, we
2: should we should plug the the video. I mean, since the pandemic started, we've been we've been visual. And uh, I'm not sure everybody knows that. So, you know, if you think the audio is good, whew.
1: You ought, to, you ought to see the video. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> it's not true at all. But some people seem to like consuming a podcast uh, visually. You know, they like to see the people talking to each other, I guess. So, I'm, so I'm told. Personally, I think we're better audio. <laughs> <laughs> What do
2: I well, know? <laughs> I don't know. It's my own bias, maybe just because I'm a, of a certain generation, I guess. But um, I tend to like the podcast because I can multitask, right? I can do yeah, other right. things while I right. listen, whatever they might be, mowing the yard or exercising right. or something. But um, but I do know a lot of people do like watching videos of, of these kinds of conversations. So we have that
1: if that's yeah. your jam. That's right. So, if you go to the website, topcast.online.ucf.edu, you can choose… Really, uh, almost any uh, of the episodes that are listed there, and if you you look down, there is a there is a link right over to our YouTube channel where you can find all of these. If, if you're like a subscribe on YouTube person, you could go do that, you know. But you could you could find your way there from the from the website. We should say we because we haven't said this in a little while. We do build this podcast as a collegial conversation. Uh, About online teaching and learning conducted over a shared cup of coffee, and uh, I guess I'll say that whether that's we can actually share the coffee or not. Today we're having a collegial conversation, and we're both having coffee, maybe, but it's not shared coffee. Yeah.
2: Well, if you show up and you come to the podcast, uh, whether you know audio or or video, uh, bring your own cup like we're doing mm-hmm. today. We're each bringing That's our right. own cup to the conversation. So, Kelvin, right. what's in your thermos?
1: Yeah, well, uh, so we're not drinking the same beverage, so um, I'll tell you what I'm drinking, but I feel like I ought to ask you first, what are you drinking?
2: What am I drinking? Sure. Yeah. All right. So, tis the season, Kelvin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got a Starbucks pumpkin spice going this afternoon. Oh man,
1: pumpkin spice. Mm-hmm.
2: I know some people, there's a, there's a, there are divergent opinions on pumpkin, yeah. there are those for and against, and the camp. I'm against. Are pretty, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm against. Maybe it's good we're not geographically yeah, proximate to each other.
1: I, I believe. I'll, I'll I'm say enjoying this. it. This is all I'm going to say about this. My philosophy on the pumpkin thing: pumpkin beer, pumpkin, pumpkin coffee. I think pumpkin should be chewed. I just think that. <laughs> I, I don't think it should be a liquid that you swallow. Uh, that's that's my philosophy. You, you should chew the b- pumpkin. You're a gourd elitist, Kelvin Thompson. I, I, I had know. no idea. <laughs> I know. I know. People 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 are gonna I think there's a vote somewhere, right, that we're gonna throw out like autumn or fall. It's just gonna be called pumpkin spice is gonna be the name <laughs> of the season. I mean, there's people who who asp- you know, that's their thing, right? Like, ooh, it's pumpkin spice season. See that's <laughs> I think that, that could be where you are. I don't know. Well, that, that, that I don't know. I, I, I like the occasional <laughs> cup of
2: coffee, and so… I, only during this time of year, though. I won't drink it usually all year, all year yeah, long. I see, that's all right. So, I, I, you all know,
1: right. I, I won't do it personally, but I certainly support everybody's uh, freedom to drink the pumpkin beer, drink the pumpkin coffee, drink the pumpkin spice latte. So, one whatever. can
2: be a gourd elitist and a coffee libertarian at the same time.
1: Sure. I guess. I don't know what that means, but sure. That sounds good. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But, well, I am not drinking pumpkin anything, uh, but I will tell you what's in my cup if you'd like. I would have shared this with you if we were together today. Uh, It is a single-origin Peru from Blind Tiger Coffee Roasters in Tampa, Florida. I first became acquainted with Blind Tiger Coffee several years ago. maybe. Five or six years ago, because uh, I happened upon it during a stroll. You'll you'll probably appreciate the irony of this. A this, uh, stroll through a quiet night in Ybor City on like a like a Tuesday uh, while I was catching up with an old college friend who was in town for a conference. We went out. We drove a little way from his conference hotel. We ended up walking around like a totally dead Ybor City in the Tampa area. And uh, it was just this little tiny shop connected to a co-working space and seemed like it was mostly like a clothing store. And then somebody who worked there happened to sell coffee because it was their hobby to roast it or something. And so they kind of, you know, so we will make some coffee for you. But it was a good cup of coffee. I remember it five, six years later. And then just a few weeks ago, five or six years later, I ran across another blind tiger location in the Tampa area. And I discovered that now there are these multiple cafes across the greater Tampa area. So they suddenly like I guess in five or six years, they got serious about the coffee part of their business and it's front and center. And they've managed to just have this growth and, and manage it really wisely, I guess. And, and so there are these, like, I don't know, six locations and big roastery, and you know, it's a big deal thing. So uh, I will tell you that the, I think the coffee remains of high quality. And I wish I could share it with you today, maybe another time. But meanwhile, as you hear my little story there, could you find a connection? To today's episode in my coffee? I think I
2: did. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. So I know uh, what we're talking about today and who we're talking to. Always helps. um, Always helps, yes. Um, So, uh, uh, quality and scaling from sort of small origins to mm-hmm. to something larger with, with ambitions and trying mm-hmm. to do so in a in a way where the quality remains, but you do so
1: responsibly and and yeah, am I in the ballpark? Ding, 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 ding. And okay. you know, I even had this little this little like, you know, misdirection in there because I just knew you were gonna say, well, you know, LSU's mascots, the Tigers. I, I just oh, knew you were going to go there. I didn't I just go there. You, yeah, you that's didn't. good. No, uh, I'm glad. You know, you, you yeah. zigged to my zag. Hold that you know, tiger. There. Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah, that's good. Well, well that's, you've, that's you've sort of you've uh, you've hinted at it uh, by mentioning
1: LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you want to do you want to share? Sure, uh, for sure. So, Tom, not too long ago. Uh, Couple months ago, I think. You interviewed our colleague, Dr. Alexandra Sasha Thackerberry, who was, at the time of your interview, vice president for online and continuing education at Louisiana State University, LSU. And as this episode releases, Dr. Thackerberry has recently taken on a new role as Associate Vice Chancellor for Learning Experience Design Innovation, which is a a lot of words in a title, I like it, at National University. And previously, Dr. Thackerberry, undoubtedly many of our listeners will know, held leadership roles at Southern New Hampshire University and Cuyahoga Community College. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say about the interview before we cut to it, Tom? Uh, just that I really enjoyed talking to Sasha. She's a great
2: colleague, super smart. Um, every time I talk to her, I learn things um, and has a lot of wisdom to share. Um, we could have talked about a lot of different things, but I was particularly interested in the work that she was doing at LSU and, and taking something uh, that that was not where, where the administration wanted it to be, and how do you help? grow it, put the infrastructure in place, deal with the, the change aspects of it, the politics and the culture and all of that was, was, was kind of interesting to me, and, uh, and she's a great person to talk to about it.
1: That's super. Well, with no further ado, through the modern technological marvel of podcast time travel, here is your interview with Sasha Thekeberry.
2: Sasha, thank you so much for being on TopCast.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: So, you've you, you have, um, you've been on our list for a while, I have to say. Ooh. Yes, your ears are probably Friend been burning. Friend of
0: Tom and We've Kelvin, I love you. it. <laughs>
2: um, and, you know, there's a couple of things that, that we could talk about. Well, one of the ones I wanted to, to, to try to get your perspective on, because you've been living with this for a little while now, is somebody who's essentially launching a new online program at a very well-known university. And it's not that there wasn't online learning prior to that, but there wasn't the kind of you know, virtual campus brand launch that you were brought in to, right. to, to handle. And I wonder if you could talk about that transition from going from someplace as mature and established and well-known in the online space as, as Southern New Hampshire to a big, brand, a big SEC school, but didn't have a big online program, I I imagine that transition from a a smaller school with a big online program to a big school with a small online program was, was a bit of something that had to be navigated.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was pretty dramatic. It was pretty dramatic, and I feel like now I've had the tour of almost every single type of educational institution because I came originally started K twelve, and then I was at a community college for many many years before I went to SNU, and um, now I'm at LSU. And I will say that yes, they are they are very very different types of institutions, and they approach um, how they approach their brand in the online space is. Uh, like, like totally different ends of the spectrum. Right. So some of the power of the brand of flagships, which I am at is historically really, uh, a, about sort of an exclusionary, you know, like the, that the elite nature of it makes it valuable. And so for post-traditional learners, one of the big things was from an institutional identity perspective, right. Was having those cultural conversations because it's new, that was not an issue at all. Like that's their DNA. That's what they do. You know, that's who they are. And and I think it was a very different experience um, at LSU because how they approach themselves from an identity perspective is very different.
2: Yeah. So um, what do you think the biggest challenge has been for you? Uh, how long have you been at LSU at this point? Three
0: and a half years. Three and a half years. You can't
2: claim I'm new anymore, right? No, no, but, no, no.
0: It's flown by. The time has flown by. It truly. Yeah,
2: has. yeah. But what would you think? What would you say is your is the biggest challenge that you had to face as you've stood up LSU online in its in its current incarnation?
0: Yeah, um, I think the change management piece was really was really the hardest and. Uh, You know, there's always things if you could go back and do it over again, things that you would do uh, differently, especially in the beginning. But uh, in a weird way, I think I owe some of the growth to, to COVID because I think a lot of faculty did more in the online space, realized that it can be done, it can be done well. Uh, can be done with academic integrity. And so I think that sort of, um, I think facilitated the cultural aspect of it uh, for from the expansion perspective. but uh, yeah, it was it was most definitely um, the biggest issue was sort of uh, convincing folks that this was really not only a legitimate thing to do, but really mission-centric for a, land, um, a land-grant institution. We're a land-grant, a sea-grant, and a space-grant institution. There's only 30 of those in the U.S., um, so it is a very powerful brand, but it's also, it, it means so much to Louisiana. So it, it has very much a state sort of situated value in community, and there are multiple there are multiple different LSU institutions that are separately accredited in the family of LSU. And so there are a lot of identity uh, and and cultural sort of challenges. I would say that that was the biggest, that was absolutely the biggest thing.
2: So you you mentioned like how important this is to Louisiana, although LSU, I would describe as a national brand, um, Mm -hmm. more so than just a regional one. do you do you think that that's the biggest opportunity? So you sort of talked about the biggest challenge, the change management mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. But as far as the biggest opportunity, is it is it within the state or the region, or you, do you have sort of national aspirations? Yeah,
0: yeah. So most mm-hmm. definitely national. So we're doing we're do, approaching it like a lot of institutions do. So like hyper local, local, which is they call local, which what what in non marketing parlance I would call regional, and then national. Uh, marketing and uh, our growth is from out of state, so the majority of our our new growth is coming from out of state, and that's I, in my mind that's a very good thing. Uh, Louisiana is a very insular state; it doesn't have a ton of growing population, and so a lot of these smaller communities where LSU institutions are situated really do need those enrollments, and they're not going to come from in-state. So we've been very successful working with those institutions. Um, I think that po- the power of the LSU brand is huge. It, it's it's in, an interestingly emotional brand to people, right? It's not just about the academics, which obviously it has um, pretty impressive academics, and research going on but it's also it's just a hearts and minds thing that i didn't even fully appreciate till i came there like people love lsu like they love it um and i know it from my own life people others. who
2: are from louisiana who have graduated from lsu it's all go you know french go tigers yeah, exactly
0: everything. everything's purple and is. gold everything uh uh-huh. yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It is literally, I mean, they say you bleed purple and you live gold or something. I think they used to say that. It's not an official slogan anymore, but people say it all the time. They're like, I bleed purple and gold. And I was like... It's, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> so, so for a lot of people who are no longer in Louisiana or maybe they had a parent who was a graduate or they didn't even know there were graduate degrees available online, a lot of it is just getting the word out there that it exists. I'd say that's one part of it. But the, the other big part of it is um, the technology on the back end is very sort of uh, old school. I like to call it retro, but not in a good retro way. It's vintage. <laughs> Yes. It's vintage, there you go, it's vintage technology, we have a mainframe as our student information system, no data warehouse, so um, things that online programs should be able to do well and fast um, are require significant human intervention for us to accomplish, like something as simple as processing transfer credit.
2: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um e- I wanna come back to your your point about change management because I think it's so important to the work that that we do collectively as an industry and- 100%. You you know, in in your role there and and in previous roles, and I imagine that, uh, knowing you, that you've been kind of having a lot of meetings, um, but <laughs> I'm sure it's more than just that. I wonder if you have any particular strategies that you think have been particularly effective as you've been navigating this change management uh, and, and yes. overcoming resistance. Because let's face it, there's a lot yeah. of hidebound kind of culture in some of these institutions yep. and getting people to accept something different is, is hard sometimes
0: right for sure i think the first thing um I, I do i have some strategies in fact i should write these down um so one is they're intentional too it's taken me a while to sort of like uh figure out what they are and name them not by names but like being able to articulate it um the first one is it's sort of on the cotter's change model like um raising the level of concern, right? Uh, but how you do that with academics can be very different depending on the ty- type of institution you're at, right? So, and then a lot of folks have to raise the level of concern with their own administration to get the ne- necessary resources to do the work. And so I uh, found a couple of things are successful. The first one is definitely activating that competitive nature of academics and saying, okay, for for like peer institutions and just aspirational institutions. Actually if they're too far aspirational, it doesn't work. And um apparently the SEC is a thing that works, which I never would have thought like a athletic conference is like comparable from an academic perspective, but that's a whole nother story. So saying like, oh, the great deal I use all you all the time, Tom. I was like, look at these amazing, look at this amazing training program that they have for faculty and it's part of the institution. And it's continual development and it's not just one modality, all that stuff. Um so exemplars, I would definitely say to raise the level of concern so that people understand it, you're not where you should be right if they don't if they believe they're right where they should be then there's no motivation for change um so that's i think the one piece the other piece is um financial if you can demonstrate um the financial um i guess cost benefit analysis like here is the actual, here's what we are actually spending on these types of things if we did it this way, here is what our ROI would be, right? I don't think we make the financial argument well enough oftentimes as an industry because it and you know this particularly in publics, um, they actually don't track how they what they spend on what. Like a lot of places even RCM models, it's like pretty opaque. Like what it sometimes the revenue is is clean but the ROI is never clean because people don't know how much money they're spending on things.
2: because <laughs> well, they like, just spend everything you get, whether it's yeah. appropriation or it's tuition, you just spend it all. And it's really hard to determine like what's efficient and what made money and what did not right. And
0: right. what people spent their time on, right? Like t- people's time is money. Like your, your, uh, your payroll is a huge chunk of your budget and people just like spend a lot of their time chasing projects that don't have an ROI. Or doing things like if you're on a committee, like if that committee hasn't come up with something that has actually accomplished something, like something has been achieved through that committee, you might want to disband the committee. And how many times have you been part of a committee that's been disbanded, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not not a lot. Doesn't not happen a lot. A lot. Yeah. So I think those two, like the competitive piece, because academics lo- love to win and um, the financial piece. But then the third thing is like the Reagan strategy. Right. So it's telling me actual stories. And in order to do that, you just have to be really diligent about tracking things. So a student calls in, um, you know, they got the runaround. They get emotional about it, of course. Um, they write, you know, a whole bunch of, you have a whole paper trail on the student. Um, and then you take that forward. You say, okay, it was. it's not just these nebulous students whose transcripts aren't being evaluated. Look at Jane. Jane's a single mom. Jane doesn't have time to double request her transcripts and pay for them twice from another school we need to solve this for people like Jane. Like the personal stories, narratives are how humans learn. And that's what I think helps a lot. Um, Even as, you know, being part of a research institution as are you, um, we can collectively be incredibly immune to data, like (laughs) you can have all the data in the world and it doesn't necessarily equal action. So I think those stories are something that's really significant.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think the power of those narratives, uh, you know, those those anecdotes are are it's so important in in being able to communicate that. Yeah, so we have like seventy three thousand students, but if you can right. tell a story of one, and uh-huh. that can really impact you emotionally, you really you really understand. I'll, I'll Absolutely, I'll add one to your list.
0: Yeah, um, Adeline. But, we should we should be writing this down.
2: I know we should. Maybe there's a paper in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is is data. Uh, I, I think you were sort of talking about financial data a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, at least with faculty, when I've gotten faculty resistance, um, being able to share with them peer-reviewed scientific data that you know shows no significant difference or whatever right. it is that I'm right. talking about. Because they're scientists and they're researchers and, and they understand that kind of an argument. I've, I have found that on occasion to be useful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting because when I went to LSU, I wasn't anticipating needing to have those conversations because I was in the new bubble. And in the new bubble, that's what you do. Like, you don't have to have the conversation about is online a legitimate modality for students to get a degree in, right? Um, so it, it, it was interesting. I had to sort of sharpen my uh, rationale, you know, I would say. And I would say national data is very helpful, too. Right. So national data, if something is in the Chronicle or inside higher ed about the growth of something, um, sharing out things that are coming out, um, even national data, I think, can be helpful. It's, it's difficult for us to get data from our own institution. And um, those other studies, I would say, are, are helpful. But we do those more at the design on the design side, I would say.
2: Yeah. Well, um, maybe the, maybe the last question I'd ask you to kind of reflect on is, is maybe some advice. As I look at uh, the, the landscape across higher ed, and particularly online and digital learning higher ed, I imagine there are a lot of people coming out of the pandemic and the, the pivot to remote instruction, and a lot of schools have sort of realized... We, don't really, we didn't really have an online strategy, mm-hmm. and I think, I think we might need one going forward. Right. Like, this isn't going away. Right. So for people who have been charged with doing, maybe even at a smaller scale, what you have done at LSU, you know, what advice would you give them about trying to have an intentional online strategy at an institution that maybe hadn't thought about it like that before?
0: Right. I, I would first decide I would have this the, the conversation about what is going to be the online identity of that institution, because grow, I, we make this assumption that um, like wild growth is what everyone wants and needs. And sometimes it's just sustainability or sustainable growth. But to do that, you can't you can't pretend like you can market like a SNU or a WGU or, you know, or even a a Colorado State University Global, you don't have that full infrastructure. So I would say definitely figure out what your, like, what your lane is, what your differentiator is first. So figure out, like, what that thing is that makes you different, that should make you the best at that thing, and then really decide what to do about the OPM part of it. Because um, OPMs aren't by nature evil (laughs) um but they also aren't by nature good they're like anything else they're a tool and so i think that people have to be very eyes wide open about what they're getting into and also what they actually need help with and what they don't need help with because the sort of all um all in opm revenue share model i think is not as valuable to most institutions. I think most institutions really need the support in the marketing and recruitment and maybe sometimes retention services, but really at the front end of the funnel, I don't think most most institutions who partner with all-in-one uh, OPMs really leverage the design and development assistance after that and and actually i've seen in practice somewhere regulatory requirements aren't necessarily um shared by the opm or put into place which i think is a little danger zone so i always think that having design and development something in-house professional development in-house those sorts of things and then you know what you can't build buy
2: yeah, that's great advice. That that uh, that OPM question is a huge one because you're right. There are pros and cons or advantages and disadvantages. There are costs and benefits. But I think a lot of times people get blinded by the benefits and don't always think about the costs. And, you know, there are, as you said, there's valid reasons to use them and right. there's valid reasons not, and you have to decide what makes sense. And, and, and you're correct. Uh, I've seen it as well that the model for that industry has evolved. You can mm-hmm. do more fee for service or you yep. don't have to bundle everything into this kind of large rev share, right. of, you know, percentage. So you can negotiate and, and do something a little more custom now.
0: And and also put performance expectations. I have seen so many bad contracts, oh. like contracts that were not um, like A vendor can say they're going to do anything, but is it in the contract? Like, are they committing to a certain amount of growth? If they don't hit their growth targets, then what happens? Does their rev share go down? You know, those things need to be structured in. And unfortunately, most of the time, the folks who are negotiating these are not really well-versed in negotiating large multi-year contracts. So that's like sort of a whole nother Sort of skill set. And typically in public institutions, I don't want to say it, but we're not 100% great at negotiating to begin with. <laughs> Multi year expensive contracts are the things we do.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I wish we had more time. Maybe maybe we'll do a Sasha Part 2 at some point in oh, the future. Oh, dear.
0: <laughs> <That sounds laughs> that would, maybe we'll do
2: it in person at one of these events once they oh, start that'd be happening fun. in person. But so on behalf of Kelvin and, and TopCast, I want to I wanna thank you for spending some time with us today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Well, Tom, that was your interview with Dr. Sasha Thackerberry. It was.
2: Yeah, great conversation. She's always full of energy and great insights, and I really enjoyed it
1: yeah for sure I mean I think that whole interview really kind of stands on its own I mean we can we can talk about whatever you want to um, from there if you'd like to hit any any particular points but I, I think uh, it actually stands quite well on its own it does I think there were maybe some
2: universal truths that she that she dropped that I hadn't thought of in that way before mm-hmm. but when she said I'm like oh my gosh that's so true like dr- Taking advantage of, of academics' competitive nature—that uh, mm-hmm. is so true. You know, I mean, I know that we're collegial and we all work mm-hmm. together, and there's great examples of different institutions collaborating. But you're all—we're also competitive with each other. How often do we look at the U.S. <laughs> news rankings and whatever? And you have aspirational peers and all those other things, so you want to win, right? So I get that, and I think tapping into that was really smart and effective mm-hmm. on her part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, that was very kind of her to, uh, you know, refer to UCF as as such a peer, and uh, uh, especially related to our faculty professional development programs. If anybody's interested in that, hey, check out TOPcast episode 59, Online Faculty Development. We go into some detail about that. Uh, You guys spent a lot of time, I mean, I think you're very, both very strategic businessy kind of folks. So, you really kind of dug in on like you know, financial viability and ROIs and efficiency, like all that stuff. But I love the message of uh, telling stories. You know, I I love a good story and the and understanding the power of story that makes sense to me too. It was I agree. It was all just really good wisdom distilled.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, the power of narrative is so important, especially in trying to tell that story. You can you can give any set of numbers that you want, oh, we've got 4,000 students like this, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. tell one person's story and how something has impacted them and changed their life. And you say, you know what, we've got 3,999 more of them. That I think is so much more impactful than just dropping stats.
1: Yeah. Although, I, I suppose that, you know, there there are tools that are useful. Like, Sasha talked about being diligent about tracking things, you know, data-wise. But, you know, I suppose um, particular approaches like journey mapping could probably be instructive, uh, maybe service blueprinting. Uh, not w- long ago, I ran across an, uh, kind of an alternative uh, called touchpoint terrain mapping. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, systematic ways of getting there, I suppose. It's not just we Make stuff up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and
2: uh, you, you ought to see Sasha's uh, spreadsheets. You talk about sort of nerding out on the business side because she and I have had private conversations like that, and uh-huh. she shared some of those with me, and they they blow my mind. Uh, she's really good at it. Uh, so, you know, congratulations to National University because uh, she's gonna she's gonna bring some of that wizardry with her. So, I don't know any any final thoughts. Uh, kind of listening to that. Uh,
1: you know. I loved just you know kind of her parting advice. Of um, you asked about you know any advice for those new to leading online at institution, and she really kind of boiled that down to identify kind of what your online identity is institutionally. And I, I thought there's a lot of wisdom in that. She further unpacked that into other things, but I thought just that itself is uh, is worth the admission price, right? You don't have to. Not every institution has to be pursuing the same thing uh, right. via online. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah, I but,
2: think that's, that's, very, that's another one of those truth bombs that, that's mm-hmm. just self-evident. Know your mission. Yeah. Know why you're doing it. Absolutely. Well,
1: you want to try to put
2: this plane on the runway? Absolutely. So, uh, I, think, I think we can both agree. There are challenges leading an online operation, whether you're at a small private college, or like us, or Sasha, a large, famous public university, some more famous than others. Uh, yet, these challenges can be opportunities if you properly manage the necessary change, including the financial, the process, and perhaps most
1: importantly, the human relationship elements. Yeah, that's great. I know we're trying to get out of here before we go into extra innings or whatever the f- appropriate sports metaphor is at this point, but uh, I think we got time for just a quick plug if I can keep it brief. Yep. So. Dear listeners, we would love to have you join us for the recorded live year in review episode of Topcast. At the time of today's episode recording, we don't yet know when the recorded live date is that has been selected by the poll respondents. You're time traveling because uh, you know stuff what we don't. We'll be posting the date of this gathering on the show notes page for this episode. Uh, which is at topcast.online.ucf.edu, and via Twitter. Uh, You can find all that stuff on the website. Please mark your calendar. Look at the date, mark your calendar, because we'd love to have you join us live. And then that recording will be the first Monday episode for December 2021. So come join live, but then uh, catch the recording as well. So hope that you can can make it. We'd love to have you. Until next time, though, for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.